is up welcome to secret motherfucking famous it's a goddamn delicious monday night it's rainy it's rainy but it's like warmer it's not like crushingly cold it's february 10th it's a monday uh all is good last monday night i went to meet a friend i had never been to the comedy cellar jeff tui he's on here jeff and we ended up Going out until like 5.30 in the morning. That's how that happens. But I did go to the comedy cellar. I saw David Tell, dude. And right now it's Monday at 10. 10. And the David Tell show was so good that I kind of want to just like go to... I want to get in the car and see if David Tell is going to be there again Monday night. Because that was so entertaining and I had so much fun. Dang! It's Rockwood 15 right now. I'm playing Thursday. But this is definitely going to be out probably Friday. Uh, but I played with this drummer who is featured in this episode, Mr. Andy, Andy Martinick, Andy Rin Martinick. His band is called Rin, R-A-N-N. I played with him on Saturday night. We played with the Emily Danger, who actually sang with his band when we did a show. And I thought, dang, I'm getting podcast work done. I got to drop this Andy one. I'm drinking some water. I got to swell. I've been talking about getting a swell for like I had a, a lot of years because I was like I was on the water bottle game when it was like the Nelgene, like that's probably like twenty years ago. If you didn't have a Nelgene, man, and then I've kind of fell out of the water bottle game. I would just buy one, you get them. I lose them. I would leave them everywhere. No, that's not true, dog. What was the? I had the Swedish one. The sweetest steel one, but now I have a swell. It's 25 ounces. I try to drink it four times a day, along with the mountains of seltzer that I drink, but I've really actually tried to diminish my seltzer drinking because Kevin Killen, Kevin Killen, he's an Irish producer. He produced all this stuff, this Peter Gabriel and all these Bowie records, all these crazy, uh, oh, all these crazy records. He's very Irish. That, that, <clears throat> that didn't maintain a fully Irish accent, but he's doing the new Abbey tracks. And we were pounding seltzers, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, boys, I think that's ruining, I think that's ruining your bones." He didn't whine. He was drinking his water, and his wife's a yoga teacher. I don't know what that really means to it, but he's got the new agey vibe. You know what I mean? You're like, "All right, dude, all right, bro, you don't pound seltzers, or you don't pound whiskey, and go check out David Tell on a Monday night at 11:30." I'm still thinking about it, man. If I could sneak down there. It was such an experience. Have you ever laughed? I couldn't laugh anymore. After two and a half hours, there was no more laughing. Anyway, and I and I feel open enough to talk about that on Andy's podcast because he loves all of the best comedy. He has literally the best sense of humor. Highbrow, lowbrow, everything in between. He can laugh at anything, and he's a hilarious dude. We became buddies. We make each other laugh, and we always, I always look forward to him. We're muscling our wives together, Fiona and Rachel muscling them together. They're both very agreeable people, like, yeah, hey. Um, 
I'm gonna drink more of my swell. Andy's band is sick. His music is sick. His music is special. I'm so thankful to even get to make music with Andy. It's as like a working musician, it's still just your job. It is a job, and it is super fun, and you're always having fun. You're like, I'm playing music, and this is fun. But um, Andy's music, when I got to like work on it, it, like you have to think. It has a intellectual property, and like I, I like thinking, and I like challenging my brain, and it feels good. And after his rehearsal, I remember like and I probably talk about this in the podcast, but I, it's still honestly probably the la- first time it's happened in. A little while playing music because uh, it was just like I was I had like a head buzz like a thinking buzz like an intellectual buzz I was like oh I feel like good like euphoric from playing his music even though I think you might listen to his music it is it's it it, it could be like dark and complex you know but it, it actually made me feel good it's kind of like one of those it's like cathartic where like you're crying it out, and then you feel better, like, listening to Radiohead. You kind of feel, like, less alone, because it's all shitty or whatever. Clearly, I need to clean up my pocket right now. Anyway, that's that. We're playing you in with End of Hope. He talks about it. I get into it right away with him. He's got cool stories. The thing I'm totally remiss and not... He's making a video right now. Is how... How multi-talented Andy is, and how completely... Completely, completely modest and understated. And how much, how hard he works, and how good he is in all the kind of different things he does. And he plays drums on a track that I'm probably gonna be releasing this spring called Fairy Godmother Tori. Emily Danger's on that. I gotta get E Danger on the podcast. Quote me here, quote me here. We're getting E Danger on the podcast. I've asked her before. It's just an issue of pinning her down because we just play with her. And I played with her on Saturday. All of my stories eventually connect. I swear to God, I got like nine open tabs right now, but I swear to God we're connected. We play with Emily, with Jeff on bass, and Emily Danger. Her music is dope. Andy introduced me to her. Emily sang on Andy's show. They're buds. They're rulers of Earth. And... Yeah, we, we got to get Emily on, feature some of her tunes, because I, I just spent all of last week inside of her brain learning her tunes, with, uh, which I have done to Andy's tunes. So Andy's music is complex. Like, I think it takes multiple listens, but that's funny to say. It's saying it right now because I've actually been spending some time listening to Post Malone. There's a track on beer bongs and Bentleys called Stay by Post Malone that a student played me. He's in seventh grade, <clears throat> and he was playing me this track. It is guitar. You know, it's just like a C major chord, F major chord, A minor chord with a funny riff. You know what I mean? I was like, it's pretty, but the lyrics are so weird. There's a lyric right in the first part of this song where he's like, You burn my face with a cigarette. So beautiful. Dude, seriously go listen to Stay by Post Malone. It is not intelligent. And I'm really having a difficult time to like understand it, you know? 
<clears throat> Andy's music is super deep, super complex. But see, I got to study it, and I, I, I studied his music and, and internalized it and made it a part of my body. And then I could just, rah, I had to. There was one line in his I had still had to read live. I was like, I don't know something about this. He's like, okay, I see him at the eight minute mark. Anyway, we're gonna play you in with End of Hope. This is Andy. The band is R I N N all capitals. Like when you go into Spotify. Wait, I wrote his thing right here. And the band is R-I-N-N-N-O-I-S-E.com. Go check it out. Rin underscore band, R-I-N-N underscore B-A-N-D. Um, if I was more organized podcaster, I would have a link to his shit. I'll tag him in Instagram. Check his shit out. It's a fucking cool collection. He does all of the original art. He's making this video right now. It's going to be unbelievable. And tying this all back in to what I was saying about my track... Fairy Godmother Tori, Andy plays drums on that, and Emily sent me an email, she's like, hey, can you play my show? I said, of course. She said, we're gonna cover this Tori Amos song. I said, cool, I'm working on a song that Andy plays drums on, it's about Tori Amos, will you come? And she comes and lays down like a scream solo, it's just epic, beautiful. So the point of that, in this intro, while I'm talking to myself in my little space, I'm writing a rap, playing guitar, practicing, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this intro for Andy right now, let me take a little break. I'm going to make a note. I'm going to send Emily an email because I'm emailing with, well, it's a text message, with Andy right now trying to set up a co-write. I was like, well, him and I should write a song together. Like, who even knows what happens to it, but it will, I know it would be fun and cool. It's more about being fun. Uh, my, my contribution might not be cool. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> and if this comes out in February, I hope you guys do go to Rockwood. And I got, I got this So Fun podcast that I recorded a year ago on this break down in where the hell is that? What is that city? Georgia, south of Charleston. Oh my god, dude. I want to say Saskatchewan right now, but I know it's not. Susquehanna. So, dude, dude, dude. Guys, I need a Jamie, man. I need a dude. Oh, phone. I need a dude that looks shit up for me. Well, well, I'm trying to do some other shit. Anyway, Rachel and I were headed to Hawaii to hang out with some friends. Matt Krahula, who is also on this. Oh, my God, dudes. Wait. Wait for it. Wait. Wait. Oh, it doesn't even matter, man. Like, anyway... Uh, yeah, I got the Sylvan one. That's got to come out. Savannah, Georgia. God, that took so long. I'm literally disappointed. That took like a whole minute of your life right there. I apologize. I hope you're listening to this. It's going to be dope. And he's dope. End of hope. And we're going to play you out with deprivation. I'm going to listen to it right now. And cue it all up. Wexler's like, dude, you got to have the little tag. Thank you to Jason Wexler for being my technical director and telling me what to do and when to do this. And uh, yeah, Daryl. Is like, dude, you gotta have the tag at the end. You gotta have the outro, bro. You gotta have the outro. I'm gonna listen to Andy's track. I'm gonna record an outro right now. So we'll, it's this weird time warp. This thing that was recorded in October that maybe you'll listen to in February, March. Podcasts are beautifully, like, timeless, though. There's an element, like, it's just, there's timeless. Oh, my God, is he still talking? Have oh, awesome month. I love you all. Please check out Andy's music. It's Fucking awesome. Talk to you all soon. Bye.
Let's go. You track podcasts instantaneously, <laughs> dude. There is no fucking around. Sometimes I do <clears throat> have a friend. You can chenzerine. You can have a seltzer. I'm going to have a seltzer. Oh, man. You get right down to business. Get right motherfucking down to it. God damn. <clears throat> but no, dude. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's real. Really real. Yo, pop the seltzers. Cheers to you. Cheers, man. Um, well, this is a clutch setup. This is the guy. You're the one who was like, yo. Yo. Uh, yeah. I was like, should I get this room? And you were like, yes. I was. Fucking I was do the guy. It. Fucking do it. I was the guy, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even like a, a question or a thought in your mind. No, not at all. You have to have a space, man. No question. You can't be in fucking New York with like, you know, 10 square feet of living space and not have a place to go where you can write music. It's just absurd. No, no you can't. No, it's true. And, you have uh, to somewhere. I'm lighting that candle because... So, this space, I was thinking about it just now in the bathroom. You're like, oh, this is... It's like I feel guilty about spending the money if I don't get here as much as I would like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, fuck, you know what? Fuck. That's really as much descriptive language as I could use right now, <laughs> but like... <laughs> you're busy you can't get there and then mm-hmm. then they're like oh yeah you owe us this money and then you're like I went there like so it's good that we're here but I lit the candle because the pool is across the street and this is the first time that uh-huh. I have left the chlorine spell- smelling like uh, pool gear up there and I felt comfortable to do that in front of you <laughs> 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 I was like alright it isn't going to totally judge me if it's a little <laughs> chlorine in here, because I know you have a desire, desire oh, to swim. Not at all. Not at all. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Martinique. I'd like to say your name with that accent. Drummer, producer, composer, dear friend. I'm the guy. He's the guy. He's got a what new, can I say? new project out. Which mm-hmm. of these two tracks do you want me to have played you in with? Let's do, uh, let's do End of Hope. So End of Hope. Yeah. People just heard End of Hope. Mm-hmm. They're feeling a little dark and a little depressed. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> when to sit in a room by yourself for the rest of the night, I get it. I'm there with you, man. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's how I wrote it. That's, that's how I wrote it. That's pretty much how I wrote it. I'm in fucking New York, and you just need a room. Um, yeah. What, like, tell us about this track. Mm-hmm. So I have... I guess you could call it a somewhat epic story to go along with the whole experience of this this album, actually. And I so, didn't say the name of the project, so you can say it. Sure. So this is uh, this band is called Rin R I N N. It's brand new, but I mean I've been working on this thing for five years now, close to five years. And I remember calling you maybe four years ago to say, "Hey, you want to play in this metal band I'm starting?" And you were course down yeah i'm like fuck um, yeah forever appreciative of that <clears throat> um but i ended up getting a grant to go be a composer in residency up at the bamf institute at the what institute the bamf institute badass motherfucker yeah yeah up in canada you're in serious Calgary. that's the name of it though mm-hmm. bamf yeah holy shit okay and uh it, it's it's an unbelievable place man it's like it's way up in the mountains and they just give you whatever you want. If, if you get the, the residency, uh, you can ask for like a grand piano and a drum set and a recording studio and mics and whatever you want. And they'll give you this hut in the woods, you know, next to like a sheer fucking mountain face. Mm-hmm. And you just, you can just write in there for weeks. So I stayed there for three weeks and wrote this album. By yourself? By myself. With those 
With a piano, a drum set, and a recording rig? Yeah, yeah. My mm-hmm. laptop, I had my laptop there too, of course. And, and you uh, didn't even have to pay for this? Just the flights, yeah. It was crazy, man. It so was it's like a once a in a lifetime. Canadian chance. grant? It's like it the Canadian is, yeah. government? Canadian government grant, yeah. Excuse me, and what made you think that you were uh, fucking. <laughs> we're well, not Canadian! <laughs> well, it was, sh- it was a shot in the dark, I'll say that much. It mm-hmm. was definitely a shot in the dark. And uh, I applied, and they accepted me, and they were interested in what I was trying to do. And I was trying to combine improvised music with, uh, with metal and, and electronics and uh, uh, exploring the, the, the limits of MIDI and, and uh, synthesis as well. So uh, they were into it, and I was happy to go up there, man. Dude. I yeah. Now, maybe I did know this story, but right now I'm going to, like, maybe I knew this, but I honestly didn't know this. Maybe, I feel like now that you, you've refreshed my memory of this story <laughs> from four years ago, you're like, so, dude, I wrote an album in the Canadian Rockies or whatever. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was an so interesting to, experience. It was, you know, it was kind of lonely, which is what I wanted. It was super lonely, yeah. Um, there were other composers there, too, but I, I definitely made an attempt to isolate myself. At the time, I didn't. I wanted to write music alone. I just wanted to be totally alone. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so you wrote all the tunes there, so it's free of... You probably didn't have Wi-Fi or... There was Wi-Fi in the main building you could go to. They had catered food that you could, you could go and... So they fed thing. you, gave you Wi-Fi. Yeah. In your hut, did you have food or, or like, would you take food or a bathroom, I guess? Yeah, yeah. A shower? They had, like, a dorm dormitory kind of setup you could go to, which was nice enough. Was it summertime? Dead of winter, man. February in the Canadian Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> so you I were loved freezing. It, it was cold as, cold as hell up there. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, man. So, yeah. and that's when, <laughs> did you, were you, you envisioning your own death when you uh, wrote End of Hope? <laughs> <Were> you <laughs> you're like, this is what it would sound like. <laughs> well, uh, the whole album was loosely inspired by what was going on politically at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found myself pretty anxious and stressed out about, about everything that was going on. You know, there were some important documentaries that had just come out, too, about climate change and uh, it just felt like the world was collapsing mm-hmm. in, in a way to me. And I know it's not, but it just you have that feeling sometimes where it just feels like it is. Yeah. So I just kind of rolled with that and just tried to own the experience and, and put it into put it into the music. But the end of hope is both signaling the end of hope and also the end of the Obama era as well. Mm. Of hope that was the big hope, slogan, which right was now. his slogan. That's right. Yeah. Ah, it all comes together. Full circle, baby. And when I listen to your music, well, I do know Andy really well, but when I listen to it, I do think of your love of, like, literature and film. Yes. And I, I, it has a visual kind of component to it. Like, it should be in a film or... Well, thanks, man. Well, yeah. that, that's what I mean. It's like, it's... It's, it's, it's more cerebral and uh, like you need to invest in the whole piece it's not just like here's a riff I'm gonna smash you with this riff it's like <laughs> you're developing sections and ideas you know what I mean do you it, that's what I was thinking this afternoon was like, does it do you have images or anything are you inspired by that or do you ever think about that when you're composing yeah I do I mean I 
I, I do want the music to have a cinematic kind of quality to it. Uh, I want it to have a, a, a certain aesthetic that I'm striving for, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the same with the artwork as well. The, the artwork that I, that I did for the album and for, uh, and just in general, I, I want it to have a, a cohesiveness in that way. So, yeah, I, I mean, I want the, essentially I wanted the music to unfold as you listen to it and not give it all away all at once and uh, build it up into something interesting, or at least hopefully. Andy, I, <clears throat> I am remiss in not, uh, you know, of the many things that you do. Drummer, producer, composer, I, I left out uh, artist. Like, you are a visual artist. I forget this. I mean, I hobby level, I, sure. What? I, I've seen your work. It's beyond hobby <laughs> level. You know what I mean? Like, you're not pursuing it in a professional capacity, but, hmm. like, you clearly have always had an interest. You had a lonely childhood. Not, a <laughs> <laughs> not entirely untrue. <laughs> <laughs> there's, <laughs> no, there's, but my mom, was a, my mom was an art teacher uh, when I was... Growing up, so she always had like a, a pen or paper in my hand, or I was always drawing something as a little kid. And I was alone a good chunk of the time. I was an only child for a, a good while. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always drawing, man. That was like, a, if it wasn't music, it was definitely going to be visual arts. No question. So she would really encourage this, right? She did, man. She absolutely did, yeah. I that's, have her to thank for that. That's cool. My brother's girlfriend is a art teacher. And her kids will get bored. She'll be like, go create something. Go draw. <laughs> and then, like, they actually do. And they do, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're uh, well, when this story happened, they were elementary age. And I remember being like, that's cool. Yeah, because my dad would be like, go clean your room. And my mom would have been like, stop being an asshole. Or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it, there was singing and music and arts and stuff like that. But it wasn't necessarily, like... Maybe an art teacher is really in tune. Did she teach elementary or high school? She did teach mostly elementary. Yeah. Yeah, so she was kind of in tune to a child's... She got it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. They have a thing. They have a thing, dude. Yeah, it's a gift, man. I I, I don't have it, but she does for sure. What's what's the gift? Inspiring children or the patience to teach children? (laughs) Maybe both. (laughs) Both? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe both. Maybe both. (laughs) Yeah, because there is, I mean... Yeah, I have such clear memories of my elementary school teacher because she would always say, if you make a mistake, what was it? See, I was just going to make a thing. I was like, if you make a mistake, just go with it or, you know, don't try to fix it. Like, make it a part of the art project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I always thought that was... Embrace the humanity. Yeah, embrace it. You know what I mean? It, which kind of relates to the improvisation or, like, like it relates to my character where I'm just like, well, fuck it. Like, fuck it. We'll do it live. Like, just keep going. Like, whatever. It's, yeah, that's it's the, gonna be the P. Maddie way, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to. I'm not it's really great. the guy to sit and perfect something for 10 hours. Maybe, mm-hmm. but that's a part of your thing, I think. It's becoming a part of that, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely becoming a part of it. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I just like to be alone, work on my tracks. I'm going <laughs> to do this filter sweep one more time. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> pretty spot on, man. I mean, for this album, there was a lot of head scratching and knob tweaking and, all right, let me repatch this again and try it another way or, you know, maybe I'll use this different kind of LFO or, uh, you know, I want a sawtooth wave here. It was a lot of sitting around and wondering. And, I mean, I probably worked, reworked this material more than I should have, to be, to be honest. Mm. I think well, there's probably six different versions of each one of these songs. Interesting. Yeah. 
Well, that's always kind of a learning process too, right? Is this maybe the, f- not the first time, but a time where you really started, you said, I'm going to venture out as, excuse me, my own composer. Because like, I feel like as a drummer and drummers in general, you guys are always creating in group environments, musically mm-hmm. speaking, right? Or Yeah, totally. I mean, you're always kind of, not to say that this is wrong or, or bad or less than, but you're always in the position of accompanying or trying to support what's going on around you as opposed to being the one saying, this is what's happening now and I'm calling the shots and I want it to sound like this. Yeah, yeah. It's a different, different beast entirely. Yes. Yeah. And is this the first official time you've stepped out in this capacity? Yeah, I mean, I'd say so. I mean, I've always booked gigs through the years, just different projects I've been in and and chosen the personnel on the gigs, but I haven't ever really sat down and thought like, okay, what is my voice and what what is going to project what I feel inside into something listenable? Hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't like... You didn't do the acoustic guitar thing as an emo eighth grader, or maybe maybe the collegiate jazz drummer who uh, comes with the charts, and I was like, "Yeah, I wrote these tunes. Let's play these fucking tunes, man." Did you do that a little bit, or <laughs> I did? You know, I tried. It didn't. It didn't feel right to me necessarily. Yeah, it feels right for some people, I guess. But I wanted something a little deeper than that. Yeah, I wanted something a little more expressive uh, from the get go. Yeah, and I think people come to finding their own voice. Absolutely. I think it takes a long time. Different times. Yeah, yeah. Not everybody gets it right at 12, 18, 25. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like each of your pieces has a similar similar aesthetic and vibe. And I don't know. How do you you not? I mean, talking about music is like dancing about architecture or whatever. You know what I mean? But like. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. And it was a struggle. I'd say it was actually a bit of a struggle to try to, to get a body of music together that fit that sounded like it was part of the same thing because i wrote this music over such a vast amount of time i mean relatively speaking that uh my influences have changed and they're always kind of changing you're always sort of listening to different material and that would kind of bleed into the next song or the next thing i was doing Mm. so trying to ground it in something i would say the next the next time I do it, uh, I will have maybe a few things in mind that I want to aim for. Because <laughs> otherwise it's just you, maybe, it's a shit show, man. You're, <laughs> you had a large palette of ideas and concepts mm-hmm. that you were trying to... Yeah, because you have... Well, the other thing that you do that we didn't... I didn't really talk about, but I don't even know really what to... What is your synth thing? Like, how do, how do we identify that? It's like analog, modular synth, or what, what the hell is it? Yeah, sure. I, is that the I word? Guess, it would be like a lot of modular th- synthesis is involved in, in the music. There's also a lot of just like manipulation of sound, like take, a, take the room sound from a mic and amplify it and see what happens. Or There's a lot of experimenting like that. And uh, just trying to find different ways of doing things, maybe take a guitar and uh, an electric guitar and, and mic it with a 57 on the front and then manipulate that. An actual electric guitar and mic the actual acoustic sound. Mm-hmm, yeah. Did you do that for some of the tracks? I did, yeah. Uh, just, it was a lot of that kind of experimenting, trying to think outside of the box, or at least really attempting to think outside of the box. Yes. So you allowed yourself that freedom and that kind of creativity. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you were just saying, maybe next time I'm just going to do one or two things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fair though, right? Like, yeah. 
I very, I had an album that took two years too. And we worked on it all the time. Every night we'd be up working on it. It was the same. It was like just all this. And so you got to like, there's something to, there's just infinite possibilities in the digital realm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, and you can make pretty much anything sound good now. Yeah, anything. Any, dude, kids, <coughs> children sound great and work so fast. And you're just like, all right, dude. <laughs> yeah, let me get my guitar out here. Uh, hold on, buddy. <laughs> let me show you Blue Boss. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah. So what was, what, um, what medium did your mother work in? Like, did she have like a specific thing? Only because I'm interested in that in the visual world. It's like you're potter or your, you know mm-hmm. painter painter did she have like a thing like that she did a lot of different stuff i guess um i mainly knew her or i should say i know her as a painter mostly yeah but she i think at the time maybe when i was really little she was spending a lot of time with fiber arts so i think a lot of like weaving or making different kinds of textiles or making different kinds of um Physical materials and the texture and the the design of it. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big thing for her when she was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, now she mostly does oil painting, and uh, yeah, that, that was her main focus, I'd say. What did she encourage you to check out? Pretty much anything and everything. But I think I gravitated mostly towards sketching, sketching and and now like found materials or or um, like making interesting textures on canvas more texturally based not so much like color or um uh yeah painting in mm. general yeah so then what was it because <laughs> there was there was one podcast guest Beesky, who he was he tells this whole story that he was like a really good drawer 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 and then he sang in like seventh or eighth grade and a girl came up to him and talked to him and he was just like Never picked up the pencils and get you know what I mean. Like so, what was I, your? I wouldn't say my story is much different than that. Yeah. <laughs> was there a moment when you were like, or maybe you started drums in fourth grade, or maybe? I would say actually, drawing, drawing and painting growing up, it did get me a lot of attention. I was by like a child standard. I was I was pretty good, so I think people noticed right away that I was good at it, and I made it known. Like I draw in class or I draw. And, you know, like anywhere that was public, I was probably drawing just because it was doing it all the time anyway. But, yeah. but kids would notice and they'd want to talk to you or be like, hey, what was that? Or Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Like, cool looking thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, people like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it was always a part of my life. It kind of took a back seat, you know, in my teenage years. And when you start meeting girls, it's like playing the drums or sketching on a pad is kind of a no-brainer. Which one's going to... Give me a little more attention. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you start drums in elementary school? I did, yeah. And I'll be honest, I I sucked at it at first. I really didn't like it very much. But you did get drums. You didn't get trumpet. No. Or no. sax. Or I wanted to play sax, but we couldn't really afford a, a sax. Yeah. So, so I like, went with right. the drums, and they needed drummers. So I decided to go with that. And I, yeah, I wasn't, like, particularly amazing at it. Um, but I don't know. Something happened one day. I saw my babysitter had a drum set. And uh, and I saw him play some some rock on it. And I was just like, holy shit, I got to learn how to do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ever since then, it's just, like, 
you know how it is, man. It just became an obsession. It's the only thing I was interested yeah. in. Yeah. No, I do. I do. In fact, I'm a little jealous, quite frankly, because I really, I think I was supposed to be a drummer, bro, because, <laughs> you know, I put, I put drums on the sheet of paper, one, mm-hmm. and then my family had a sax, and they're like, eh, well, you have a sax, so you're going to play sax. And you I was played like, sax? I didn't know that. I was like, fuck! Because <laughs> my brother played sax, you know what I mean? Like, uh, fuck yeah. sax. And he was, like, good at everything, so I was like, fuck this dude. Yeah. And then I remember being even in church and be like, yeah, I just want to fucking play drums, man. That drum, snare. And then in seventh grade, I, I quit band. Okay. And I got back into band via drums. But that's right when I started playing guitar and my other buddy was like, all right, well, I'll be the drummer in the band. And I was kind of like, all right, I got some fucking guitar, dude. You know what I mean? Like, Because <laughs> it was solely based on You just got like, muscled into everything. I, dude, every time, dude. And, <laughs> So it's like it, it, it's it's cool that you got you know you got to see your whole life through with the drums and I was I'm just always on the sideline like I did oh he's off the drums man maybe let me go sit on that shit for a little bit like let me check it out <laughs> no it wasn't really like that but it's admittedly I will say before I picked up the drums I took piano lessons as a kid and I hated it man I was like I was a shit piano player mm-hmm. <laughs> I was terrible I was shit. <laughs> really was this fucking six year old? <laughs> <laughs> hey, kids suck at everything. That's why I love them. I am better at everything than kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what ten year old is going to be like anything? Yeah, well, reading, yeah, that's fair enough. Math. Yeah, I think the thing that kind of like put the nail in the coffin for me when I was a kid, I was always playing in the garage and uh, I was always building things. And I think I was in the middle of building like my own like go-kart out of just scrap pieces. I think I found some wheels and a recycling bin and some plywood and I was like building this go-kart in the basement at I don't know, 9 years old. And like a moron, I picked up a drill bit from the bit end oh, and no. I was trying to like hammer something into the wood oh, no. and open my hand and realized it was just like covered in blood. Oh no. Yeah, it was rough. So I I got my hand all taped up and and I, you know, my mom whatever and uh, I went to my next piano lesson and I told her like can you just be kind of easy on me because my hand is just <laughs> it's like completely chewed up it's bloodied and she did not heed that warning even a little bit and she was just like prying my fingers apart to stretch on the piano and it was painful man I just thought ah so you quit piano promptly me after no, I kept doing go- it. After the yeah. go-kart incident? <laughs> after the go-kart incident. <laughs> That's a horrifying story. <laughs> I know, man. It was brutal. But no, it was shortly after that that I picked up the drums and then, yeah, it wasn't long. It wasn't too long that I that I started really getting into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that explains maybe then, though, why you feel a compositional relationship with the piano. Yeah. I, I Now I like piano. Now it's cool. Now. It's all fine now. It doesn't hurt anymore to play piano. Yeah. 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 Similarly, now I feel like piano is, well, you know, the day and age of gender fluidity and whatever. It is the ultimate instrument. I always, always like, the piano is the queen. Like, guitar is the king, but piano's really running shit. You do bass yeah. lines, you do chord. It's everything. I love, we, Rachel and I have a piano in her apartment, and oh, I didn't I just know that. fucking love it. It's great. You can see everything you're doing. Voice leading is really obvious on the piano as well. Yeah. You know, any counterpoint stuff is so much easier to suss out there than, I mean, probably any other instrument that I can think of. Absolutely. So did you write then the guitar riffs that are on the record on the piano? 
I did, yeah. I wrote all of it on the piano. Now that you say that and I listen to it, it actually totally makes sense now, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't know jack shit about fingering, so I'm sorry if it's uh, impossible to play. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not guitaristic. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I think there's a natural motion to guitar shit, and you move it like this. You, you know, like, you're, you're thinking more compositionally. That makes sense. Mm. It's yeah. just turned into an uber geek fest very quickly on that. But. <laughs> <clears throat> it's all right. It's, it's so, there's a place for it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Just trying to keep keep the listener involved. We love you. Don't, don't, no. <laughs> don't hang up, don't, please. Don't hang up, <laughs> please. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, all the comp- all compositions were, I would say the drums came last on most of it. Most of it was written at the piano. It came with the melody or the time signatures of the bass line. Some of it was even inspired just by drones. Mm-hmm. I would just come up with a drone that I liked or a, a texture that felt cool, and then I would kind of expand on it from there or just try to create like a, a feeling first and then worry about the structure later. Mm. And this is when you were at Banff. Mm-hmm, yeah. Five years ago in the Canadian Rockies. I think it was... Four years ago now, but five years thinking about doing it and conceptualizing what this thing was going to be. You were married to your wife at this point, though. No, no, I wasn't. We were just dating. She and, was like, uh, yeah, go ahead, go, whatever. <laughs> yeah, she's I'm sure amazing she's, like that. Yeah, yeah, she's super cool. But yeah. yeah, she's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, so I'm going to go spend three weeks alone in the woods. That's fucking awesome, though. Do you have yeah. a desire to do that again? Maybe now or? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Every year? Every month, man. Every-, <laughs> <laughs> every month, actually. Yeah, every, every month. month. If I could take three weeks off, yeah. Just disappear? Yeah. Yeah, I might not even do it at like an institute this time. I would even consider just renting a, a cottage or something in the Adirondacks. Bring all my gear with me, just camp out for a couple of weeks and ride up there. But it was inspiring to be around people at Banff that were interested in what you're doing. And uh, it was a really um, welcoming vibe up there. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were accepting of what you were going for. It wasn't, uh, you know, when you're in the conservatory lifestyle, it's like you've got to play this way or you're not going to play at all. Mm-hmm. That was my experience in a lot of it. It was a very open, free environment. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm due for something like that because I like hearing about everybody else who kind of does a, a writing retreat, per se. You know, I'm going to take off for a week or a month. or Shit, three weeks would be out of control because then you could really relax mm-hmm. and write all the shitty shit to That's get right. to the good shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And creativity is just, it's, a, it's like a, it takes up a lot of space. Does you need like a lot of time? You need to be in the right head zone to make it happen. I think mm-hmm. you know you can't be like writing emails all day and then sit down and be like, I'm going to write my the ultimate song right now <laughs> after sitting at a computer for ten hours. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, you gotta it needs time. I think. Yeah, I like sometimes I do little like digs. I call them like a ten minute improvised kind of song in the morning. Oh, that's cool. Sometimes that kind of helps fire up the mojo. Or I do the Julia Cameron, the artist way. Did you do that? Do you know about that thing? I know about it. You know who actually turned me on to that was uh, Paul Amaris. He told me about that book. Danny Amaris yeah. is just a god. He's just everywhere. Yeah, he's he looms amazing. over us like 
His head is right here. <laughs> yeah, he's the he the great uh, god in the sky. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, I called him up. I call him from time to time just to say hi because mm-hmm. he was my my first like real drum teacher. Mm-hmm. I've talked to you about this before. And uh, yeah, he told me about like the morning pages. So I started doing that kind of thing. Do you do that now? Not really. I occasionally mean, to unleash some shit. Yeah, or? yeah. Maybe occasionally I'll do it, uh, but I wouldn't say I do it like every morning. Yeah, I don't really have a routine. I wish I did. I should. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Tim Ferriss shit. Five things every successful person does in the morning. Oh my god! Gets up guy. at five, works out, eats healthy, blows Dude. ten lines of coke yeah. before lunch. Dude. I know. I. I it is good to get in a routine. It's interesting to say because the past couple days I've had a routine. It does kind of set you in a, in a good motion because mm. you plan the rest of the day. It is true, yeah. though. Sometimes you get up late and you're running around and then your whole day feels like a muscle fuck. You're like, <laughs> yes, yeah, I haven't even had just my trying to get by, man. yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 8 p.m. having your morning. You're call. like, God damn. Today, <laughs> hand me another seltzer. You finish one. You take your pick. Do you want? I don't you, care. Which one do you want? No, so you're you're the guest actually. So you have to pick. Take, take passion fruit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll try that. Passion fruit. Go to tangerine. Usually, I have like a case of them, and I'm not. I just maybe didn't hydrate that properly today. But anyway, it's Lacroix, right? Yes. Not Lacroix. No, that's uh, that is cool too, though. I actually call it Lacook. It's my new way to call it. And I was really cool and okay with drinking it, like, as much as I do and as obsessively as I do. And then Rachel recently was just like, we were throwing it all out at this Airbnb, and she's like, oh, we're such hips and toothbags with all this liqueur. And I was like, don't do not do that to me. Don't ruin <laughs> don't ruin something I love. Just you, let me have this one just thing. Just let me have this, you know? Because <laughs> now I'm always, I'm always, like, walking down the street with my LaCroix. I'm like, people are probably, like, looking at me like, look at that hipster douchebag right there with his LaCroix. You know, like, <laughs> you can't drink normal water, bro. You know, like. You gotta <laughs> drink that shit. <laughs> you're gonna be drinking that? That's really funny, man. Yeah, I think you turned me on to this. Uh, at the time, it wasn't, like, super popular yet. And you... I would venture to think that you might be one of the guys that started the whole fad. <laughs> well, no, I don't know about that. I just, it was everywhere for a little bit. Yeah? Like, it was just like, it, well, it was the, probably the first, I don't know, dude. Fuck it. I don't know, dude. I love seltzer. It's, it feels like a problem. Like, it feels, I don't know. It's pretty damn good. It's just good, and there's no sugar, and it's a nice break from normal water. It's re- it is refreshing. Yeah, right? It's great. It, like, breaks it up. It's, it's great for, water all for the pod, you know? Yes, dude. Yeah. Uh, Andy, I would love to tell the stories you've told about your... Um, the, that is not the cleanest segue ever, but I'm just like... About your... I yeah, really yeah. enjoy what you told me about your bodybuilding era. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I don't think that. many people have experienced it in the way that you have. Mm. But I feel like it's such a part of culture. Bodybuilding in general, you're saying? Just gym culture. Oh, yeah. You you were on that early. I mean, it's always been a thing, but like now yeah. it's just like everybody's so body obsessed, you know? Sure, yeah. And you've seen the dark side. <laughs> the dark side. <laughs> yeah. Or you Shit. you presented it to me as like a... You were like, actually, actually kind of fucked me up a little bit. You know what I mean? You weren't like, yeah, fucking sunshines and rainbows coming out my ass. Like that's Yeah, it was not like the most, um, 
in the end, I just it wasn't for me, I guess. Uh, Tell the people what. I don't know where to start. We, uh, what era in your life, and then. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, the whole thing was sort of born out of uh, probably my my insecurity about my athletic abilities just in general. Mm. I mean, I sucked at sports growing up. Um, I could play the drums. And that was about and all I could really do. Draw. And I could draw. Yeah. yeah. I could run a little bit and snowboard. Everything else was just a wash, man. Just, mm-hmm. just too much. So yeah, when I when I got into my twenties, um, I started working out a bit, and I realized I was pretty good at the regimen of it. I was pretty good at the the follow through with the discipline of handling the diet and getting to the gym, and um, I like numbers and I like progress. So mm-hmm. that was sort of how it it started, and then I just started getting better and better at it, and thought like, well, what do I do with this now? I feel like I've amassed a certain amount of skill with this thing. You know, should I do something with it or should I, is this what it is? Is this the only thing that it's going to become? Interesting. So I ended up, uh, I was in Phoenix with Fiona, my my now wife, back then was just my girlfriend. And she knew this trainer out there. And um, I was in Phoenix visiting her and uh, I went to go see this trainer and we were just kind of talking and... We did some working out and was sort of asking him, like, yeah, I've, I've made some progress and I've, I've done more than I anticipated I'd be able to do physically. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think I should do something with this or what are my options with this? Is this worth pursuing? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, shit, man, you should do a bodybuilding competition. You're already, like, doing the diet. You're already scheduling your lifting and all this. And um, So I went with it and he, he sponsored me. And trained me. Uh, we did it long distance, so I was in New York at the time, and I would Skype in with him, and we would go over the diet and the numbers while he was still in Phoenix. And, uh, yeah, it was about a year-long process. I did my my competition, placed fourth in that, which was awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, But afterwards, man, like, the lead-up was so intensely stressful. Like, I would, going up to it, I was... Or leading up to it, I would, uh, I'd have like four days on lifting twice a day. I'd get up in the morning, go lift, come home, eat, go back and lift again, practice a little bit, and then emailing people and, and taking doing, care of business. Yep. And then I'd be playing gigs over the weekend. I might do like three gigs, and that would look like getting up in the morning, work out, drive to a gig, get home at, like, midnight, go back to the gym, work out for two hours, go to bed, wake up and do that two more times for the rest of the week. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, after playing drums for, like, five hours. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of a wreck, man. It was crazy. Your obsession uh, went from drums to this, kind of, in a way, huh? It did, yeah. It did for a while, yeah. And, And almost, it almost felt... I guess what I didn't like about it is that it felt like I was, I didn't have a choice because when you're doing that, your body's so unforgiving. Like if you miss a workout, it matters. Mm-hmm. If you miss a meal, it matters. You know, if you ate too much, it matters. So you have to be on this regimen. You have to do everything. Um, so everything else in your life can sort of like end up taking a back burner, which is, some people are cool with that. I, I wasn't. 
Well, you you did it though. Wait, I so, followed through with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's so fascinating to me. So okay, maybe let me just backtrack a little bit. Like, were you? Did you feel like you were in? A, were you inspired to begin pursuing this healthy lifestyle because of like? Were you feeling very unhealthy? You were overweight. You hmm. were just, or you're like, ah, I'm gonna start lifting. Like, I think um, I uh, guess I pursued it because I, excuse me, I, uh, I thought it was just something that was never gonna happen for me. And then I ended up. <laughs> it's a funny story. I was working a cruise ship gig, which is where I met Fiona. Yeah, I think I've told you this. Yeah, and um, I was hanging out with the trainer on the ship a bit. And he was the one who was like, "Why don't you come up to the to the gym on the ship, and I'll I'll take you through like a training session, and I'll analyze your your body makeup." And so I got up there and did this this test with him, and he told me like, "Man, you have like the perfect physique to get like huge and to be super strong and lean." And what, what, how was I not going to run with that shit? You know, <laughs> like, all right, well, <laughs> you just go like, for it. He was like, "Yes, you will be good." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was the skinny guy my whole life. Like, why, why don't I just try this? Oh, so you happen? were just really skinny. You were Super checking skinny, out man. lifting, and this guy's like, "You could do this." Mm-hmm. So we had you had two people in your life, kind of just yeah, it's kind of ramped up into this, this thing. Yeah, up your already potentially very obsessive ways. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah. compulsive numbers. personality. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole thing. You have you, and I think you still live very disciplined now with this. I yeah, I still live pretty disciplined, but I still like to have a drink with my friends now. Or yeah, and you'll eat a hamburger. Have a hamburger. But you will get a side pie. salad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're good. Man. Not the fries. So. Yeah, I'm good on the fries. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, do you do you look back now and think that this was like a positive experience, like learning about? Maybe ways your body can interact with the modern world. And- yeah, that's that's interesting, man. I mean, I think it it's made me think about the limits of my physical self, or it's made me think about the limits of my my mental focus and capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I guess when you're younger, you just think you're kind of invincible, like you can just take on any amount of stuff, and that really showed me that I do have a certain threshold of like where my my sanity lies and where my discipline level lies you so, found you found the limit there the i found the limit baby. if you will yeah. yeah oh definitely yeah yeah so but i mean as as far as like how it's impacted me i would say you know i'm still not totally out of the woods sorting out like if it was a good or a bad thing mm-hmm. um right now i just kind of feel like it just is sort of just as a thing that i did <laughs> It just is. It just is, yeah. Yeah. So, um, to be determined on that. But you're still, you're recreationally working out, maybe running a little bit and eating just a health conscious diet. So you're maintaining totally. this healthy lifestyle. You're not veering into this obsessive thing where you're pursuing, as soon as it gets competitive too, and that's, there's something there yeah. that can like really change your whole fucking. Like you said, it puts everything on the back burner. You can get like just obsessed with it. You know what I mean? Absolutely, like, man. Well, now yeah. it's a competition. Now I have to win or try to win. You know? Yeah, or do it has my that best. Vibe. And it's like crazy to think you get up in front of a group of people, and they judge you based on how you look. If you're going to win this prize or win this win this trophy or whatever the case may be. Yeah. 
And uh, people that do it for a living, I can't even imagine, man, because it's it's so political and it's so it's so much based on whatever the trend is. Like, are they looking for the three hundred pound meathead, or are they looking for the hundred and seventy pound guy with a tight waist, or whatever the case is, to win? And then to get endorsements or sponsorships, um, yeah, it's just such a crapshoot, and it's your body, man. Like, you don't know how it's going to be react to certain things, and and then, like, of course, there's the whole, like, drug thing that goes along with pursuing that world as well, which I didn't have any interest in. Yeah. And uh, to do it professionally would would absolutely have to be a step you'd take at some point if you were trying to, to make a living. To get that shredded? Mm-hmm. To make a living doing it, you'd have to be doing something like that. So just seemed too much. Too much. <laughs> I just can't, dude, I know you, and I just can't imagine you, like, Back in the room with the boys, get your pump on, lubing up with the fucking um, suntan lotion. <laughs> or you just like a spray tan or some shit like yeah, that? Yeah, the whole deal, man. Yeah. Like the Arnold video, dude. Pumping mm-hmm. iron. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm was that coming kind of all day and I'm coming all night. <laughs> that was Yeah, you. I was quiet. I was quiet back there. You know, it's, it's not my scene. Yeah, you were looking around like, wow, I'm really here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Because you only did one. I did one and I trained for a second one. And towards the end of that training, I kind of, that was when I really put the brakes on. I just thought, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I want to be on the road. I want to be like playing music. I want to be making music. So is this when you did Banff then? Um, Post? That was a little post Banff. I made that decision that I was going to stop training for the show and just like focus on music. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it must have been taking so much time away. So much time, dude. And it's like chasing the dragon. Like, nothing is ever good enough when, yeah. you're, when you're doing that kind of thing. It's, you're not ever going to look at yourself and be like, yeah, looks great. I'm, I'm ready shredded. to I'm ready to compete. You know? <laughs> <laughs> at least I didn't. Some people, I think, do get to that point where they feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for this. Um, but just, yeah, maybe I'm too much of a perfe- perfectionist. Maybe that's it. I think it's just fascinating to... I, it's, I, I've gotten really into different things like that, and it can be easy, because you have control over it, too. It's like a control issue. Like, you have control over this thing. You can have control over your body. And yeah. It feels good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, yeah, then it can just <laughs> go way too far. Yeah. You're like, oh, my God. Yeah, once you hit certain plateaus and stuff, it's like, once you start losing control or you have to negotiate control with what's going on in your body, and decide like what kind of sacrifices you're going to make to get to the next step. It's um, that's those are big decisions, man. And if you're already on a path of uh, of something else, like music is so all-consuming as it is, dude. I'm trying to pursue two crafts, like two crafts like that is crazy. Two things that take just <clears throat> even proficiency means that you're obsessive. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, just even to get to that level, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, that's the thing. With other things, You, if you do it for a couple of days and then you come back to music and music keeps you really honest, you know, you pick up the instrument, you're like, oh my God, what have I been doing? You know? So, yeah. that's cool that you... I just think it's a fascinating story. I like that. Oh, I appreciate that, man. That's yeah, a cool it's, it's a... I feel like it's a slightly unusual thing to have done, especially as a musician. Yeah. Dude, I have a friend who is like, oh, Rockwood Music Hall, where the pudgy white dudes hang out. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> <laughs> That's I remember hilarious. that like inspiring me to be like, 
oh man, I gotta get in shape. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, no sort, no shortage of pudgy white dudes. They this rock is with. pudgy it's white true. dudes in our whole little <clears throat> world. You know what I mean? Like, oh, here's another pudgy white guy who's good at music. Woo! Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does lack a certain like aesthetic sometimes. Well, does. Fiona have that kind of obsessive thing because she's a dancer and that also probably takes just pure obsession, constant oh, man. work. She's stretching or working on routines or she's always choreography. Stretching, she's choreography. like, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's always choreographing. She's always stretching. I mean, she's also always like working in her craft 24-7, it feels like. You know, music's like, it's a lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Music, the arts, any anything you're pursuing seriously. But I don't know. I gotta I gotta hand it to her, given the environment that she came up from uh, in college. Th- those dance schools are crazy, dude. I mean, you think we have it? It's gotta be the rough. same thing with the bodybuilder thing, though, right? Like, it's, it's like you look at because it's so physical, right? And you look at a woman and be like, well, your arms are short or whatever. You yeah, know, like, and that was that kind of thing getting into your ass school is a for her. too big. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they all had to be like a certain height and a certain weight. They had weigh-ins every semester, so if you were above a certain weight, you got kicked out, or you were on probation where did she go crazy uh ocu and where is that it's uh in oklahoma wow it's just like super competitive dance conservatory crazy competitive man like a lot of those chicks end up going uh getting into the rockets or doing that kind of like hardcore full-time dance thing so you know i'm not sure if i'm supposed to say all these things on on a podcast. Oh, but, no, no, it doesn't uh, have to, yeah, but I was just thinking, like, you're two obsessive personalities. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe. That's what I was... That's interesting that you guys are... Yeah, I think we keep it at bay for the most part, the obsessiveness on and what we're doing, but, you know, it does happen. You talk about, like... It's easy to go down that rabbit hole of just picking one thing and just... Well, it's just... You can't let it go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it becomes all... Well, I, I have this thing in me. I have an obsessive thing but my thing is like i'm way into it for like six months or eight months and then i have a new thing i'm obsessed with you know mm. what i mean Interesting. Like i'm like all right now fucking fly fishing <laughs> you know <laughs> i'll take you out man <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you know what i mean like clearly i've been a little obsessed with the surfing thing for longer than usual but That's like right now i'm like into i'm like my brain is just really into yoga i'm like all right i want to I need to <clears throat> I need to memorize all of the poses so that when the teacher calls it, I'll be in the pose first. It's like a competitive control thing too. Am I and like Rachel's mm-hmm. so much better at yoga than me that it like pisses me off. You know what I mean? Like, but <clears throat> with the, she's a little girl who danced. Mm-hmm. Like I will never have the. I mean, unless I just work at it for years and years, but I'll never have the hip mobility that. Oh, it's freaky, man! It's freaky. They've been Splits doing splits and the whole thing. What? What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. I'll go drum, thank you. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> um, I guess I'm back, back, come back to music. Music keeps it real. Yeah, man. It's, it sets you up for some more longevity, just in general, I think. Like that kind of, those kinds of physical uh, art forms. I mean, your body ends up deteriorating. Down. Yeah, it just deteriorates uh, a lot faster. Like music you can play forever until you die or whatever. Yeah. But dance or bodybuilding, even more so, I would think, you can only you only have a certain shelf life to be doing that before it either gets kind of dangerous or you're going to definitely tear something or something's not going to heal right or whatever the case. Yeah, because I don't I don't know anybody. I've seen people <clears throat> online in your life 
I've never seen anybody like sustain the ideal bodybuilder physique for more than. It's how, tough. Yeah, you have to. My guy that I went to, my my last trainer, uh, who's an incredible trainer. His name's Alton Brown, and um, he's sixty two, and he's still shredded, man. It's crazy. All natural, no drugs. Just like he's just a monster. He's also six five. Whoa! It's this enormous individual. Um, but that's his. That's his thing, man. That's all he does. He trains. He lifts. And he sleeps. That's it. And he eats. And he eats. Yeah. And you have to meal prep. That's like a whole part of that culture too. You can't just buy. Like, yeah. Maybe that's changing now, but like. I mean, it's in New York. It's probably easier than any other city because you can go to a deli and be like, "I want two chicken breasts and broccoli," and they can just put it in the plastic thing and give it to you, whatever. Yeah, you can't really do that in Iowa. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can, but it's been easier in New York than anywhere I've been before. Yeah, yeah, but it's not cheap. And this dude who's sixty-two, he's a New Yorker. He's a New Yorker. Yeah, and he just trains other. Just trained civilian folks for the most part. He oh, has he doesn't some, just, he's not like an elite bodybuilder trainer. I wouldn't say he's, yeah, I mean, he's trained some really great athletes, I think. He's trained a lot of bodybuilders over the years. But he himself, um, he'll do a competition once every so often. But I think he recognizes, you know, he's like an older guy. And maybe competing is a 30, 20, 20s, 30s, 40s-year-old sport. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know, right? I mean, I could see you doing it at 40, even post 45, it'd be like, all right. Yeah, I think most guys kind of hit their peak maybe around 30, I would guess maybe between 35 and 37 or something. Hmm. After they've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Maybe earlier too. I mean, I don't know the exact numbers on that, but I guess like Ronnie Coleman, he's an old guy now. He's not in very good shape. I mean, from all the lifting, I think he's, he's pretty beat down. But, um... Yeah, I think he was still competing in his maybe his 50s even. Yeah, and he's the top of the totem pole, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, he's going to die soon probably from all the drug use, but <laughs> 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 you know. If that's your, if that was your life calling, then more power to you. So then musically, I'll segue back. Dude, I'm not sure. doing good segues here today. God damn it. No, I love it, man. This is great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So party with me. Anyway, back Underground to podcasting, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you... Because I feel like when I met you, you were still very much coming from the jazz kind of creative realm. And then you mm-hmm. made a very clear switch. I did, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of... A long time coming, I think. I don't know, all through college and and even moving to New York, I never totally felt like I had realized what I wanted to do musically. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted I knew that I wanted to do something that resonated with me and I kind of knew what that was deep down, but I wasn't necessarily willing to pursue it. It felt kind of like it felt kind of dangerous, or it felt kind of more. It felt less legitimate to go the route that I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't what my teachers would have approved of, or it wasn't like what my family would have loved for me to do, or whatever the case might be. But it just got to the point where I felt like this: if I'm going to pursue music, I'm, I'm going to pursue a lifestyle. Doing this, 
it better fucking be exactly what I want it to be. Yeah. Um, because chances are, you know, there's, it's not that we won't have successful careers as musicians, but becoming a multimillionaire doing this is, is unlikely. So I might as well do it exactly the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I made a pretty clear switch. I mean, I grew up playing rock and hard rock and, and metal and stuff, and I just felt like that's what I want to do now, and that's what's in my bones. Everything else just felt kind of superficial in a way. So you gave it up. Yeah, you were just, well, you didn't, I mean, you still play jazz. Sure. Yeah, yeah. If I got called for a cool tour or a cool gig or a recording session, fuck yeah, I would be there in a second. Yeah. But as far as doing the restaurant gig thing for five people and playing standards, I'm, I don't have much interest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing, right? They're yeah. into it, and you're just like, yeah, man. It's like actually, It's like actually hard for me to like understand what they're driven by now. You mean like jazz musicians or? Yeah, even just the guys, like guys we hang with and play with. And they're like, mm. yeah, man. And I'm like, still? Really? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's like, I, I, I think I understood it at one point in time, but now I'm just like, I don't, I don't get what they're trying to do. It's like not about making people dance. Mm-hmm. It's not about making other people happy. It's like very like I'm going to play the most incredible line over the rhythm changes. Like I don't know, you explain it to me. What is, what is it? Man, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it's case by case. Um I feel like some people are are doing it for a really noble cause or they you know, they really want to make art. They want to make art collectively with other people. Yeah. And I think some people just like to hear themselves play. <laughs> that's, that's probably a big part of it. Yeah, probably. That's right. Uh, but I think it's just it's just a cultural thing in college too. Like in in jazz school, it, there's just a certain like you do this thing or you know this must be your mindset when you're practicing or playing or nothing else matters except for this this one very specific thing. This is the sound. This is what you have to sound like. Yeah. This, yeah. This is the this is the vibe. Um, and it's not to say that like every teacher at a college is like that, but it seemed to be a trend culturally overall to me. And I felt like the guys that are really making shit happen are the guys that ignored that and went with what felt right to them. Yeah. Whether yeah. it felt legit or not. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's when you kind of had the come to Jesus with yourself. You're like, all right, it's time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you buy a rig? or is that when you did the whole record's on in Ableton maybe Uh, Ableton yeah I did it all in Ableton I mean I was always interested in electronic stuff uh, electronic music I mean I saw Zach Danziger play with his uh, band years ago the first sort of band that I saw him like leading or he was a big creative part of was uh, Mr. Barrington Mm mm-hmm Super cool electronic duo trio project that he had with uh, a couple guys. It's just this crazy inventive electronic music. It just didn't sound like anything I'd I'd heard before, and I felt like, yeah, maybe this is the new frontier. This is this is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> yeah, I picked up Ableton and I picked up a laptop, and I was thankful. I'm thankful now to have people that encouraged me to do those kinds of things and really put the bug in my ear. Like, yeah, this is. There's a lot here to learn. There's a lot here to check out. Yeah. 
And now people are like, hey, Andy, can you put these electronic drum sounds on my thing or something, right? Yeah, Which totally. you're like, yeah, I had to go program metal drums or something, right? Yeah, I was just doing that two days ago, programming drums for a, a metal band in Germany, which has been really fun. Yeah. And how does, cool. what does that entail? Metal well, in 2019. <laughs> yeah, well, that specific project was um, pretty straight ahead as far as, as uh, drum programming is concerned. I basically just played it into like a MIDI drum set, played the parts, and then uh, shifted some things around or changed the velocity on some of the, the MIDI notes. and To make bang. it sound like real. To make it sound more real, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like moving forward, I mean, every metal band is using program drums now. Like yes. They, all the records sort of sound similar to me. Yeah. So I tracked live drums on my album because I feel like it's just a different sound. It's a little looser, and uh, I just feel like no one's really doing that yet. I mean, I think there's going to be a big shift in, in in that kind of world, this like metal and, and synths kind of stuff. I think people are going to start moving to more acoustic instruments because it just sounds different. It sounds more interesting. It's got more possibilities for not being the same exact sounding shit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think you can just make something more artistic with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. There's like a... And a fuck, like metal bands now, there's like such a sheen on it, on the mixes. You're like, dude, metal's yeah. not supposed to be this clean. Like, it's not what it's about. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> totally. This sounds like a it's pop hot, heavily tune. Produced. Like, yeah, yeah, like, come on, man. It's supposed to be like... And you have to sit there and wonder, like... Non-conformist kind of shit. Did they actually play this, or was it just all programmed? You don't know. I mean, you know it's programmed, most likely, but... You know it's some bullshit program shit, but that, I mean... So you making that decision, that's what I, It's like, it, it, it's paying off now. Like, people are, like, seeking you out to do this, these things, right? Yeah, yeah, bringing it back, I guess, to the electronic stuff. Yeah, I've been getting some calls to do programming for live shows, or, you know, they, they don't know how to use... Um, the the programs in Ableton like Max for Live or they don't understand how to to set up an instrument rack in that in that environment or or change things over time like make a slate for a, a song so that when you play the keys it'll be a different sound in the bridge and you don't have to touch into the other stuff to make it happen so yeah I get called to to do those kinds of things or if somebody wants some weird electronic drums on there album i've been getting called for that too yeah which is nice yeah that's cool i love that stuff I, that's like that your your decision to be true to yourself has led to yeah it's led you to getting to do that shit legitimate yeah. other gigs totally yeah that's cool i mean that's yeah. the success to me that's the ultimate success story here you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah ultimately like as soon as you find what it is you think is fucking cool then you just do that thing and then eventually People are like, oh, this motherfucker does that thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hit this motherfucker up. You know what I mean? Like Totally. Yeah. yeah. And I think people can sense it, too, when you're really passionate about something. People can really feel that. Yeah. I, I truly believe that. And same when you're, like, playing music. Like, if you're playing music, even if you're, even if you're, um, you're performing, which I think you should always be performing on stage, even if you are trying to pretend like you like it and you don't, and then you play some music that you do like, I just think people know. They just know. They know, yeah. Yeah. They do know. I was, earlier when you were thinking, talking, I was thinking about this analogy that, like, music is a little bit like 
the ocean, right? We're on top of this huge ocean of possibilities, and we're little fishermen, and you, 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 you might get a bite, you might not get a bite, but when you do get one and you can tell it's cool and the audience can tell it's cool, then you got to kind of do that thing. You know what I mean? Like you're like, ah, uh, I guess I'm doing this thing now. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a feeling. It's a yeah. feeling, right? Because like, it's gotta you, feel right. You went on this massive journey, and then you were finally like, I just actually fucking want to play metal, like mm-hmm. metal drums and programming weird electronic shit. Like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, this is what I started off doing anyway. I God know. damn it! Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, so yeah. funny. Yeah, you're right. It's I've talked about this so much with other musicians too, just how everybody's kind of on this fucking journey now, you know, like mm-hmm. study the jazz thing. Everybody's like a super good jazz player. You're like, all right, fancy jazz guy. That's cool. But can you just fucking play time? But <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, more power to people who want to keep doing that. And that calls to them. I mean, I feel like the guys that I went to school with, the ones that are doing really well in the scene, specifically jazz, they just grew up listening to that shit, man. It wasn't like they started pursuing jazz because that was what was going to be the thing they were going to do in college. It was just like, it was already in their soul, like in their spirit. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they had just, that was it. They, that was exactly. I feel like I can't ever fucking play bebop licks. I, it's just so not ever, it doesn't compute. Mm, it's just not part of your your, just, your programming, yeah. No, yeah, no. I upstate just blues guitar. Yeah, man. Just blues like upstate kids. That's right. upstate, dude. I was like, it's a blues scene. I can't. Mm-hmm. I wish there was a bebop scene and I could be that cool, but blues and rock, man. Yeah. So, what's going on in the future? What is what's the future for the project, Rin? Mm-hmm. And then, the, what's your future kind of for you, composer, producer, drummer? Mm-hmm. plans and or goals yeah 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 so we got a show coming up on November 6th yes that was like seven questions I realized you were like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I was like sorry <laughs> one thing at a time November 6th big show yeah November 6th is the I guess you could call it the debut show for the band mm-hmm. and uh, really thankful that you're going to be there slaying yes. it of course of course um, I got pretty much all the motherfuckers that I wanted on this gig. I called him up and it was like, it was a dream come true, man, to have you there and, and Jeff and Ollie and, and Tom. You guys are all like just ridiculous it's and perfect fun. for this gig. So, yeah. Really thankful for that. So, that show's coming up. I curated the night myself. I picked the bands, I picked the venue. I tried to pick bands that I thought were cool and interesting that I'd want to hang out and watch. And it was a long process, man. It was like, I went through maybe 30 bands just trying to find dudes that I. I really wanted to be there to do this thing. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so it was like a curated night. As far as the future of that project, you know, I want it to be a big part of what's going on for me, musically. So probably going to do some touring in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, Might set up a show down in Philadelphia over the winter sometime. And just keep trying to hit it. I'm going to be writing some more music for this... uh, this establishment in the coming months again, I think. Now that I have my own home studio rig, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Are you going to do maybe a writing retreat again to help with that? Or? I might. I'm, I might try just doing it at home this time because I have such a, a great setup there. Maybe I'll just tell everyone I'm not going to be around. 
<laughs> you have the out of uh, out of office email, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the future with this this thing. I mean, it's really and important. You're going to gonna keep continually re- releasing more singles. Yeah, maybe singles. Maybe I haven't decided yet. You know, maybe I'll release a full album or just another EP set of songs. Um, but it's probably going to end up because you only a have different. two songs out right now, right? I have two out now, and then the the EP is dropping on the first of November. Ah, yeah. You're dropping the EP on the first, and how many? So that's all all the tunes. How many tunes are mm-hmm. you? So that'll be six tunes. No shit. Yeah, man. And then is there some more kind of in... And what is the name of the collection? Uh, the name of the EP is Formed Trauma. F-O-R-M-E-D. Mm-hmm. And how did you come up with that name? Well, how did I come up with that? I mean, it's uh, it's a combination of a lot of, I guess, life experiences and... Just um, the sort of overall feeling of the of the album, I think. Mm-hmm. It's inspired by experiences I went through uh, as a young person, and uh, experiences I'm still kind of having, I guess. Looking at the the world and sort of where we're at, and maybe where we're headed, or maybe where we're not headed. So that's that's sort of the the story behind the. Yeah, title. it's an interesting phrase. Formed. Trauma. Yeah. Trauma like, just doesn't appear. I mean, it, I think it happens over time. Interesting, yeah. It's created. It's manipulated. It's, it's an interesting title. Did you, and you did all of the artwork, right? I did all of the artwork, yeah. Did all the artwork. That was a long process, man. I stayed at home. I basically locked myself in my apartment for a week with the materials, and I had it laid out, and it was just chaos in the, in the apartment. <laughs> Fiona was saint for letting it happen but there were just you know like bits of twine soaked in mud on the floor and nails covered with grease and paints and uh, uh, dust and and gravel so are they pictures yeah they're pictures yeah of original pieces of artwork Mm -hmm. you gotta fucking tell people this shit It's, it's hard to tell by looking at it Oh yeah, yeah. That's original. Uh, I'm now. I'm painting, looking. Yeah. I now. I want to look it up right here, like fucking Joe Rogan style. Just like yeah, yeah. check it out. So those are all for each of those is original, oh, fucking original, original physical pieces of art mm-hmm. yeah. that you made. That I made. Yeah. At home. At home. So let me pull one up. Like, so what's this right here in the background of the Spotify? Oh, that I made years ago. That was a picture I took at a swamp, and then I manipulated it and uh, and drew out the text for that. Yeah, that's the that's background. That's the main of logo. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, let's see. The end of Hope is the track that we played in. Mm-hmm. So that is ah, uh, uh, that's the nails and the rope and the texture. So you, this is a piece of art that you have at home that you made. Yeah, yeah. So that one was uh, basically a piece of, like, wooden board, and I took nails and hammered it through the back. And uh, and then I used some textural, you know, shit on the bottom part of it and worked it up through the through the canvas. 
or uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the board. And then painted it. Um, With the, yeah. these red over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this is a picture, though, right, of that piece of work. It is, yeah. It's a photo. Did you manipulate the, the picture then? I did a little bit of like uh, Or Because how does it look lighting. like shiny like this? It's a shiny piece, actually. Yeah. It's like, it has a bit of a veneer on it. It was hard to photograph. That's why it's I think difficult. it's a filter. I'm sorry to be so millennial. Like, dude, what filters do you use? Nashville? <laughs> or? <laughs> My visual orchid is like so not dialed, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have much of it. So Yeah. And if you, uh, if you look closely, it kind of looks like a flag. It totally looks like a flag. And that was in, it, kind of intention, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the stripes going the... The wrong way, man. Dude, you gotta... God damn it, dude. I f- feel like uh, Shannon. <laughs> like, you're a bit of a mystery, you know what I mean? Like, you don't, like... You're not the dude who's just gonna tell you what it is. I had to sit here and ask you, like, an hour later. You're like, oh, this is a... No, actually, the artwork <laughs> is an original piece that I made. <laughs> Crack me up, man. No, oh, seriously. And then I want to look at the other one of the other release track. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is fucking fascinating. The Great Collapse picture. I'm pulling it up. What's this piece? Oh, that I did on um, on canvas uh, using some texture material on the surface. Uh, kind of inspired by... Um, did you ever see Hellraiser? Mm-hmm. Classic film. Horrible by today's standards, according to some people, but... Um, yeah, I was kind of going for more of that, that sort of look. And is that actual tied onto the canvas? The it little is, door yeah. that you open and Hellraiser's head comes out of it, right? <laughs> is that the idea? <laughs> Something. Yeah, I guess when I was doing it, I, I, sometimes when I do this kind of art, I sort of like black out and I'm just, I'm not even thinking. It's just kind of happening. I guess you call it like a state of flow. The flow state? Yeah. The old flow state, yeah. And I think I took... I think I took a knife and just rammed it through the canvas, and that's the hole that it made, and I just started painting over it, and, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of what came out, man. And then how did you associate the piece of music with the piece of art, then? It was mostly just the feeling, I guess. I just sort of... The artwork actually didn't originally coincide with any of the, the songs. Is there kind of six original it. pieces of art, then? There are, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to put them up on the website as the... Uh, and they're actually already up on the website, I think. I have to take a look at that, but I think they're already all up there. And do you clearly state for idiots like myself that this is a real physical piece of art and not just a fucking <laughs> picture? I don't. I think maybe I should, though. I think you should, honestly. Yeah. I don't think people... I think you just see so many images that were bombarded by images all day. You don't realize even what they are like it's it's not even in my it doesn't even it's not even in my operating system to like just be like well that's crazy you know that's it mm. not like that's you know what i mean yeah we are and that's uh, it's so hard to make any kind of noise in that way mm. like on instagram because it's just you're bombarded by a gazillion artists or interesting photos or i mean a lot of it's just trash i think but there are some very talented people out there well, you're one of them. That's interesting. And because, yeah, I mean, you should, uh, when I upload this this sick underground podcast, <laughs> maybe we can put some cool pictures of your original art in it. Oh, yeah. I can send that to you for sure. 
Where do you make time to do the art then? Clearly not when you were bodybuilding, so. Definitely not. No, <laughs> certainly not. Like if you're <laughs> lifting and sleeping for seven hours a day, like. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, sometimes it just happens. Uh, it usually happens if I'm really fucking pissed off about something. Oh, it's like a real emotional release. It is, man. Even more so than music sometimes, because I feel like music, for me, still is a bit clouded with expectation and... If I'm doing it wrong, I know that I'm doing it wrong. Um, with art, it's a little bit looser. I don't have any formal training there, so I can just kind of dive into it, and I barely know if it's even that great. So it doesn't matter. I can just sort of create whatever feels right, and then that's what it is. So it just it's a little bit more of a raw experience than playing for me. Are you going to bring these pieces of art to Sunnyvale? I mean, I guess I could. That might be cool. Maybe I should. Because yeah. there is kind of a weird separation between art and music. Maybe that it shouldn't be so divided. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd love to do some kind of like I know, show in a gallery or something. Yeah, like, right. Have you? Do you think about that? Or I think about it. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to do, but it could be done. You could definitely do that. A fucking raging metal show in an art gallery and that be Dumbo. A joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It would be cool. It'd be cool, though. And you're the right artwork and the right vibe. But I'd love to, man, I mean, the dream one day would be able to, like, play medium-sized theaters with this project and and do it in a space that feels a certain way. Like, Sleep No More has such a feeling to it when you're in there. You're Mm -hmm. immersed in this kind of, like, three-dimensional alternate reality. So that would be the, the dream to be able to do something like that with it one day. But you also have these recordings... In the gallery, recording. You can have the yeah, man. the recordings in the gallery playing. Yeah, like an art show with the recordings happening, like a immersion piece. You know, like those weird film pieces or whatever. Like that early, early fucking film piece where the woman was cutting herself on film, and then that was the piece of art. Then you're watching this fucking video, and you're like, "This is fucked up." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It could be something like that. Yeah. Do you ever fuck around with that kind of? Yeah, stuff? I mean, I mean specifically been... cutting yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you'll laugh. Yeah. I, was, I was talking to the kids one day. I was like, "Don't." I, they were asking about my tattoos, and I was like, "I literally just." You have some great tattoos, man. Well, it feels good though, right? Like the first ten minutes of pain is horrible, and then when the dopamine hits, it feels very good, and it like you just hear the needle like, and I was like, oh, and I was like, yeah, you feel really alive in that moment you're very aware of your present you know what I mean mm. you're changing your body in real time yeah. <clears throat> you're changing your body once you get to the past part where it's not and it was just like yeah I was like you know sometimes you just gotta cut yourself to feel alive I said this to high schoolers oh, you know what I mean and they were like Paul you can't I was like yeah you're right you can't say that in 2019 so that's why I was <laughs> making a cutting joke If it's a good one that's still like a thing you know that that's like I mean you know that sure yeah I think it's probably always gonna be a thing <laughs> <laughs> it's probably always going to be a thing. It's always going to be a problem. Fucking some teenagers going to be like, I'm going to cut myself. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, sorry, divulgent. Do you check out, Do you have you thought, like, maybe video projects or, like, this multimedia kind of experience? Absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've been messing around with film a little bit. Have you really? Yeah, yeah, just at home. I mean, nothing that I've come up with I feel is compelling on any level, really, so... I may leave that to to the professionals, or maybe I would try to direct it in some way. Um, but making a good piece of film, it's fucking expensive, man. You want to make like something interesting. 
Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time, I would say the past year, studying and watching films by like David Lynch. I think his films are so fascinating. He's your favorite? I'd say so, yeah. It's just unbelievable ability to just put you in an environment that's so unsettling. Name some of his films, just for the oh, listeners. Uh, Blue Velvet yep. is incredible. Eraserhead. one of his first ones, right? Uh, it's it's kind of in the middle, I guess. Maybe one of his later movies, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Blue Velvet's crazy. Uh, That's from the 80s, right? Yeah, I guess it would have been 80s, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mulholland Drive is insane. Those yeah, are probably the three the, strongest ones, I think. The big one, yes. That was the, probably the most commercially successful one. Yes. Yeah. But Eraserhead is, is incredible. It was his first full-length film, and it's all in black and white. Have you seen it before? No, I have not seen Eraserhead. I've seen Blue Velvet. I've okay. Seen pieces Velvet. of Mulholland Drive. All right. I think I was just wasted. I don't really remember it. Yeah, probably not the best state to watch those movies in. No, they're a little they're a little <laughs> unsettling, yeah. Yeah. As you said. Eraserhead kept me up. I watch a lot of horror films, as you well know. Mm. And that one kept me up at night because it was just, he just puts you in an environment. It's not like you're scared. It's just like, it's, the whole thing is just sort of dripping with anxiety and, and morbid curiosity. So, yeah, just the shots he gets in Eraserhead, I find really interesting because it's all sort of, it's very DIY feeling or it wasn't at the time because that was just how they made films. But by today's standards, it's Mm. without any CGI, low budget, black and white, two or three actors involved in the making of the thing. Um, It seemed like a a cool launching point to to check that out. So I'd love to do something in the vein of that uh, with music or with what I'm doing. And what, like with film specifically, mm-hmm. have you been well, writing just a music screen, video. screenplays or, yeah, more just for a music video or? No, like, more just music video, I think, yeah. And what have you been experimenting with kind of at home? Like just filming shit and manipulating it or filming like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, filming shit, manipulating it or, or filming through certain lenses. And I don't mean like camera lenses, like through cellophane or through in a mirror or just trying to. Or slowing down or speeding up material to see how it feels when you watch it. Really simple shit you can do in iMovie, but I think if it's done well, it can be even more effective than a lot of the shit you see in, like, Marvel movies or whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, you used the word, I thought that was a good word, like, compelling. Like, it doesn't, that's a, that's a great word in the sense, too, I think of that with music, like, to me, that's the whole, like, punk rock ethos. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what how you get there. It just matters that you got there and the feeling that it creates. Like, you tell it's bullshit or if it's cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, punk rock film, that sounds... You're like, yeah, I don't have a fancy fucking camera. I don't have all this... I don't have the slick editing skills, but, like, I did it and I created it and it, it exists, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think if you can do something like that with very little material, then... I don't know. I think you're onto something. Yeah. So do you have a video for in conjunction with the EP? I don't, no. No. But maybe some film projects will come mm-hmm. for one of them or two of them? Yeah, I'm hoping to do a music video or, or two from this stuff. Absolutely. Is that down the pike? Do you have... Yeah, yeah. Tell I mean, me your concrete fucking plans. I know, I'm like <laughs> trying to pin you down to a date or like, when are you doing it? Where? Tell, tell me camera? now. Tell me. 
Tell me when, right now. When is the release date? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think I want to get through the show first. Once I'm through the show, uh, and I can I can focus on that a little bit more. And I probably should focus on it a little bit more. It's mm. kind of all over the place, you know, trying to get the band rehearsed and make sure everything is going to go smooth for that and uh, maybe book a show over the winter and... Yeah, it's just a lot of plates spinning, I guess. That would be another one to spin. But it's not a bad one to start. Well, it seems like you're this self-motivated and you have the vision and a concept and, like, the technical wherewithal. And, goddammit, if we haven't learned anything from Wolfpack, dude, this is a band that doesn't fucking tour and they just sold out MSG by means of the internet. You know what I mean? Which is crazy and Still fucking, fucking good crazy. for them. Man. Great it's for them. Amazing. Great for them. It's just like, <clears throat> it's like, man... They fucking somehow. That must have been the payday too, right? Even it's like they must burn so much cash and time on the internet, but they saw it through to a point where maybe each of them were walking away with a million dollars. You know what I mean, or something? You know, like yeah, this is amazing. Fucking selling out MSG and all the goddamn dumb T-shirts they must have sold and shit. Like, <laughs> you the know, merch, the <laughs> fucking merch. merch, man. The merch. It's all about the merch. You already have a name, and you already have like a cool visual thing. Like I'm sure it can get to a point where. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm skeptical as to like how much the window is open online anymore. You know, Instagram six years ago, seven years ago, I think there was a lot of space for people to to gain traction. Mm-hmm. Now it, I think the window is still open, but I think it's starting to shut a bit, um, or it's just much harder than it used to be. And I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know the answer if it means touring or just investing in more online kind of shit there's probably no wrong answer but yeah i mean i guess guys do it either way some guys just they want to be on the road so they're out six months out of the year some guys just want to do it from home so they mostly do the online thing but i don't know what the answer is yeah no no no, there is no answer and i think that's the that's another little chestnut i've been dropping it's like why do you learn to improvise because there's no one way to have a career path. So you have to improvise a career. <laughs> you <laughs> truly do, man. <laughs> like, like, why do we learn this jazz? You know, what I mean? that's all I can take mm-hmm. away from it. You know what I mean? And I, I truly do. I never majored in it, but uh-huh. I was always like the undercover dude. I was just kind of into it and fascinated by it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of chord changes. Wow. Or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it does teach, it does, it has redeemable skills in life. Totally. I mean? Yeah. And the guys, I think the most fascinating shit about that. I don't want to call it a genre because I feel like it did so many tentacles out there when it comes to jazz. It's just, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to put it in a box maybe, but the guys that really started that shit back when, you know, Big Spiderback or these early, early jazz musicians, I mean, they were doing exactly that. They were just like, they just came up with this shit. Just, they just, for lack of a better word, kind of made it up or it just was a, a combination of a bunch of different ideas coming together. Mm. And talk about improvising a career. That's pretty fucking improvised. <laughs> <laughs> Making the shit that no yeah, one's heard. Like, it's like, what is this? Selling thing? it somehow. I don't know. And yeah. that's pre- probably what you're talking about the Instagram. There was just a window open, and they were like, yeah, we'll play your fucking gig. Uh, can you give us money? And they're like, <laughs> okay, we can do this. All right, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were probably having the same dumb concerns, yeah. That is cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah well, I don't know. I just, I, you're, that's fascinating. You have a lot of fucking uh, pots on the stove. 
I'd say, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep myself busy. But I guess I'm also trying to narrow some things down. You know, pick like, you know, projects that I'm interested in doing. And I guess it's a luxury to be able to do that, to say, I want to do this thing, I don't want to do that. Or, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But it's a balancing act, you know. How do you balance that at the home front? And the discipline that music takes and then kind of the freedom that visual arts... I don't even fucking know how to work that. How do you... Do you have a thing like, okay, it's Thursday from 8 to 10, I'm going to do this thing and... I have no system. You have no No system. system. You kind of go where the energy is and you're like... Yeah, whatever I'm kind of feeling, like, you know, do I feel like practicing some drums? I mean, I will admit lately I have been committing to like a regular practice routine on my instrument again just because i feel like you have to to get better at it yes to really get better at it so you know i want to be a, like a session guy i want to mm-hmm. be able to do that thing i want to get called for that kind of shit so got to be able to play a backbeat without missing a hit yeah, yeah. you gotta get through a whole tune without hitting a rim for mm-hmm. sure so yeah i've been working on like facility as a structured thing but everything else is kind of a bit looser, you know. If I, do I want to compose? Do I want to write? Do I want to draw today? Do I want to uh, work in Ableton or, or learn some new shit on the modulars that I have? Learn a little bit more about patching or or sound design or yeah, just kind of whatever sort of moves me in the moment. That's interesting. Yeah. And then you have your sh- scheduled time, kind of for emails and phone calls for. Yeah, for other stuff, yeah. Like, but how many hours do you put into just general shed? Like two hours or something? Try to put like one to two hours in now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I probably would do more, but I feel like I have so many other things that I want to be doing. I have to sort of limit it at some point. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the winter or if I have months that I have more time or less gigs, then that's really where I can sort of invest in the time to, to shed more. Yeah. It is, it is a regular shed is... Very nice. It feels good, right? Because then does, you're, if you're like, it can help focus and center your whole kind of life in a way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, did you ever read Sam Harris's book, um, uh, Thinking Clear? I said, not Thinking Clear. What the hell is the name of that book? Waking Up. No. I know he has a podcast and I know he's a fascinating character. And there's some things with him I'm always like, I don't know. But the other things I'm like, yes, he's a brilliant man, obviously. Yeah, he's a mixed bag. But he has a great book on meditation, and I'm not a meditator necessarily, but I read his book, and I feel like if you're shedding and you're doing it thoughtfully and mindfully, it is kind of like scratching the surface of meditation. Absolutely, dude. So, I don't know, when I feel like I shed and I'm done, it's a similar feeling as to when I've meditated, so I've kind of replaced meditation with, you know, focused shedding. Interesting. Yeah. And also, my match grips chops are fucking terrible. I played traditional for so long. I'd never really like learned how to play match grip that well. So, which is I'm two sticks facing the same way for non drummers. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what is the one? What is traditional? Yeah, traditional is like the one you see in the old, uh, old. like uh, Civil War movies, where they got the drum on the side. That's how you quote unquote like learned how to play. Yeah. Yeah. But or, I thought in fucking marching band you do match. Uh, yeah, we did, but I did drum corps for a while, too, and that was, like, traditional snare drum shit, traditional grip on the snare drum. And which is, that's yeah. how you learn drum set in school, right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I started out playing match, and then 
once I got into drum corps around 13, I switched to traditional grip, and I would go back and forth. And then by the time I got to, like, late high school, college, it was all traditional for jazz. Like, it was just, that was the look. That was kind of, like, what you had to look like. Mm-hmm. So I went with that. And now you're yeah. saying you're very f- focusing specifically match grip. Yeah, yeah. If you want to hit hard, like Josh Freeze or, you know. I guess Kali Uda and uh, some of those dudes still play traditional, but I don't know. Match just feels better. I feel like I can hit harder with match. Yeah. More consistently and harder with match grip. That's it's real music dork stuff. This, now. No, now, yeah, no, no, we went down the drummer <laughs> hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's, 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 it's like when the uh, fucking bass player's like, yeah, I do a French bow or German bow. Honestly, I couldn't tell the difference in when they're holding the bow, but I know that it's a... Like, I have one bass player joke. <laughs> do it. No, well, <laughs> it's got to be the perfect moment, but you know the Dragonetti? Dragonetti. Yeah, see, this is such a deep bass player joke. It's like the... It's the concerto of the upright bass. It's like the, oh, the flight water. of the bumblebee of fucking upright bass, right? All right, all right. The Dragonetti. And, like, I was with a bass player today, and she was like, yeah, I was dating a bass player for a couple of years. I was like, yeah, did you guys wake up and play the Dragonetti together? She fought, I almost got her in tears. She was laughing so hard at this because... It's just a thing. It's just, you got to be such a bass dork. Because Bobby <laughs> Bananas, I lived with him. This motherfucker, I always thought it was like... No, you live with Bobby? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, for a little while. And he would practice the Dragonetti as like his bowing sticking. And it just was so bad and so horrible. And I was always like... He didn't have the mustache back then, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was like, he's practicing this instrument that's meant to play like... But he was like... And I was just like, what are you Fuck doing, off, dude? Yeah, this is so bad, dude. This is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> just come out of his room. Oh, hello, Paul. Yeah, like, I love you, dude, but... So, I always have that dumb Dragonetti joke in my back pocket. Mm, yeah. For... I don't have a match grip joke. I don't... I don't even... Is there, like, a snare drum concerto that all you guys have to shed, you know? Oh, uh, fuck. Man. Uh, well, or like, I guess or... there's, like, three camps is the big one. Like, the there's an etude called three camps that everyone has to learn on snare drum from, like, the get-go. But, yeah, there's the Wilcoxon book. That's a big one in the jazz world. You guys uh, all jerk off to that one book. Uh, Syncopation for the Modern Drummers. Oh, my one. God, every drummer. I mean, that's every the one that Andrzej and every, like, other cats, other musicians just read those rhythms, right? Like, <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, those are the... Those uh, are the, the Primer for the Funky Drummer. Funky. Primer for the Funky Drummer, yeah, New Breed. New breed. That's and there's a big one. And what's the Riley one? Uh, the Art of Bop Drumming. Yes, mm-hmm. that one. Every drummer has that book in the fucking canon. You know? Yep, that's the one. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other, like, you know, best of hits. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Fuck it. Those are the big ones. There is a thing to that, though. Drummers always practice reading. You do reading, right? Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Reading was one of my big things in college. I was the guy who could read pretty well. Yeah, I don't read so much anymore, but but it's something about like the your it's brain work and hand work, right? I think that's what Kenny yeah. said about it one time. He said if instead of just sitting there wailing away, at least you're like working on your brain a little bit too. Totally. Yeah, if I'm working on technique, I like to read stuff too because it's just otherwise I kind of lose focus. I think if I'm not like reading what's happening, if I'm working on some parallel exercise and I'm just playing it over and over again. Yeah, I gotta be like reading something. Yeah, 
Yeah. Fucking drummer talk, dude. That's great. I love yeah. that. Because there's goofy talk like that for every instrument. What is it for guitar? Well, the classical shit is um, obviously Bach. You know, he's okay. the be-all, end-all. You got to have the Bach shit happening. Either you can check out the cello suites or the violin partitas is the little more guitar did one. Okay. And then there's the Hector Villalobos pieces. Okay. Which are super beautiful. That's kind of like a little deeper, like, oh, I've started some classical. I got the Villalobos. Yeah. <laughs> Then there's some Leo Brower turtleneck as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is, this is my total my turtleneck face. Yes, <laughs> fucking Rebecca Allen. <laughs> That's her one fucking joke. Um, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> She's like she just she just has that one. That's like my Dragon Eddie joke. She has it in my her back pocket all the time. <laughs> She's like. Oh, Paul, shut up! You're a classical dork. You know, I'm like, God damn it, Rebecca! <laughs> God damn it! Every time. Every time. I'm just getting to know this person. You got to blow me up like that? Yeah, because I don't have that on her. Just like, yeah, well, all right, whatever, Rebecca. Yeah. Anyway, and then producer Andy. Mm-hmm. Are you producing some people in your studio, or is it mostly your own shit? You know, I thought about, I've thought about this. You know, I have some friends that are going down the producer route, and I think I'd like to produce, but... Uh, uh, maybe I'm just fussy, but I would want to produce very specific kinds of music. Mm. Don't really have a lot of interest in going like hard pop route production stuff, you know. I mean, you know, I listen to a fuck ton of like Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails and uh, that whole kind of world. And what is that world called these days? Like industrial or I don't know. Prog. I guess it's not Prague or God. Like what is he known as? Just metal. I guess probably. industrial. He's like the king of industrial. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I'm really interested in someone like Billie Eilish or or someone who really wants to push some boundaries and make something that's uh, different or challenging, confronting. Mm-hmm. If I could find artists that were in that vein, I would love to produce someone like that. Definitely. Yeah. But, yeah, not so much interested in the bubblegum pop thing or the Britney Spears circa now vibe or, or whatever. Yeah. But as far as what I'm producing now is mostly just my own shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to probably tap into some, like, horror film uh, producers at some point. Or I don't know if you would call them producers, but uh, directors. To do a, a music video kind of thing. Yeah, music video thing or, or score for a horror film. I feel like that would be a good route for me. That would be a good route for you. That's probably something that you would... Yeah, I mean, you probably already have the fucking... The the backlog of tunes. You'd be like, oh, that's just this. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I do have a reel for that stuff I made, actually. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I do, yeah. For... For, you know, if there was a, a director that was interested in my thing, I could send him that. Probably should update it, though. It's been a while. Yeah. Cool. Those are the, the directions. Yeah, you're right. It just takes so much money to make a film these days. Or does it? It takes time. you got to really yeah. have that vision. Imagine what film people must go through. Like, if we're just talking about our little world of music, like, putting a whole film together, it's like... Dude... Yeah, I mean, just even experimenting at home with my own stuff or trying to sync things up or making Instagram videos, you know, the drum covers I've done and that whole thing, that racket. Just doing those alone has given me such a deep respect for these feature films because 
the guys that produce it or the people that are behind the scenes organizing everything, you'd have to really fucking know what you're doing to make that happen. <laughs> you really would, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Even some dumb Woody Allen movie, I'm like, this dude, <laughs> this dude fucking must have put so much fucking time and thought and love and energy, you know, like yeah. Yeah. 12, 16, just 18 getting hours a day. One shot right is just a miracle. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> it's a fucking miracle, man. So yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot to be said about the the medium of film as a as like a an art form. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, Andy, I'll play people out. All right. Because Andy and I are going to shed these tunes actually a little bit, so I want to yes. leave ample time. Mm-hmm. My stupid ass nephew. Um, <laughs> he's just a child, man. Leave he's that just in. A child. <laughs> I'm dead. I don't edit this. Listen, Andrew, you son of a bitch. No, he's. He's doing good. He's Uncle Paul. He's he's interviewing at a medical school, but of course that's a fucking racket. Like everything's a racket. It's like, all right, yeah, come the night before we'll have a dinner, and then you have your interview Friday, tomorrow morning. So he's just like, yeah, can I? Politics, man. Politics game. God damn it, dude. All right. So I'm going to play people out with Deprivation. Tell us about this track, unreleased, coming out November 1st. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the first airing of it, so uh, if you're into that kind of thing, this is the first one. But yeah, Deprivation is um, <clears throat> largely inspired by uh, the uh, the nomination of our latest uh, Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the beginning, you can sort of hear some screaming in the background, um, and that is the actual uh, cries of the people as this guy was being nominated um, at the Supreme Court level. So it's... Where did you, know, you get this uh, audio? I found it. Yeah, I, I found it on a news a newscast. They were broadcasting what was happening outside of the courtroom as, uh, as it was going down. And uh, it had a, a certain weight to it that I felt was kind of appropriate for the song. So I tried to turn it into... Um, like a sound design element in the background for the beginning of the track. So, yeah, that's that's the that's the inspiration for this one. So this one wasn't composed at the mountain. The beginnings of it were yeah. interesting. Yeah, but then once the nomination happened, it felt like uh, that's where yeah this fits the puzzle piece perfectly. Interesting, it's layered in there. Yeah. And uh, if you want to get music techy, if you're uh, keeping score. It's a nine for the entirety of the tune. And, uh, yeah, enjoy it. <laughs> Are any of your tunes in straight four? Yeah. one of the There's one song that's in four that's coming out on November 1st. I wanted to say, I'm going to say this on the podcast, too, before I end this, because after this rehearsal, I've been meaning to tell Andy this, too. So we had this rehearsal, and uh, I don't know how to totally describe the feeling, but I've been playing so much fucking music in four, and maybe music I don't always have to think about. It's more like a physical thing or something, but I Mm -hmm. remember leaving your rehearsal and had a feeling I haven't had in a while where I was just like... Annoyed? No, no, not annoyed. It was a good <laughs> feeling. It was like um, like a thinking buzz, like a happy buzz. I was just like, oh. wow, that, it felt very therapeutic. Oh, good. I'm, be I'm like, happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, 
in my head, I was like, I'm going to say this on the podcast, because it's like, not many people are probably listening to music in nine, or yeah. writing in 17.8. Yeah, I did want to make music that was musically difficult to pull off, but also really listenable. I wanted the odd meter stuff to feel like it was in four, or that, you know, it was still had like a bounce to it, or a danceability, or you could move to it and it wouldn't totally fuck up your shit. So mm-hmm. That was the, the hope, at least. Is Fiona going to write a dance piece to this? I've thought about asking her to do something like that. She would be down to do it. Yeah, That may be an element of the, the music video. That's cool. Suss that out, yeah. When I was doing the metal show with Jeter, he always wanted to, like, he has this very clear idea of, like, he wants to film the shadow of a dancer and then chop it up. <laughs> He had such a strong concept, and I was just like, I think we can achieve this. I mean, this is just whatever. Anyway, guys, <laughs> what is the website, Andy, where they can find you and or tell people? Uh, yeah, so it's Andy, not Andy, it's uh, rin-noise.com. Uh, That's the website. Mm-hmm. And the Instagram handle is, um, damn, I got to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know, dude. What is my Instagram? Rindash noise. Is it like D A S H or just literally the a line like a hyphen? A hyphen, yeah. Yep. And the the Instagram handle is Rin underscore band. So R I N N underscore B A N D. And yeah, come check us out November sixth. It's gonna be a killer show. Yeah. Paul's gonna be there. I'll be there. Some other ridiculous musicians. Who are the other bands? The other bands are Neon Funeral and uh, Tidal Gloom. Tidal Gloom? Tidal Gloom. Both fucking great names. I think they're cool. They're cool bands. Are they instrumental opinion. or singing? Or They're singing, yeah. One of them's a little bit more uh, aggressive than the other. You'll see on the night of the show, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but they're great. I mean, they, they're really interesting melodies and, and synth use and shit. And they're cool bands, yeah. Dude, fuck yes. My dear friend and a good friend, and Andy, thank you for taking time to come to this room that you really played a large part in making happen in my life. So (laughs) I thank you for that as well. Dude, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, and um, yeah, we'll get this out. Let's get this out. God damn it, it'll be out before the show. All right, we'll make that a a goddamn priority. (laughs) So... (laughs) Check out Andy online. I wrote it down. Rin-noise.com. Rin underscore band. I'll tag you in the post, and we'll get some of your fucking fresh-ass artwork in this. Thank you, man. Thank you, Andy.
Isn't Andy the man? Isn't that track cool? I did the guitar part that's like, that was incredibly fun. I was like, yes, yes. And actually, the guitar I was going to play in that gig, Andy, is in this room. But it's such a good recording guitar. And uh, you have the spaces. Andy told me to get this space. So thank you again for that, Andy. Dang it. And now I remember to, if you make it this far into the podcast, right? I was talking about Kevin Killen, and he had his water bottle and telling us not to drink our... And I was just drinking my swell. And I've been in an obsessive yoga phase, as I think... And end of every yoga class is like, Namaste. I'm here. I can answer your questions. I'm making fun of yoga culture. It's part of my new thing. And they're like, and remember to drink your water. Drink your water. And it's so cute and like adorable. And you're like, yes. Hi. Vasodas. Not touching my toes. Inflexible male yogi. Anyway, that's goddamn Andy Martin. Go check out his music. Check out his drumming. He's got a cool YouTube channel. You watch him shred Josh Freese beats, which I was listening to some Tool. Well, that's not related, but that perfect circle shit with Josh Freese is so sick. Mannered is so sick. Honestly, if I knew more about Tool, I would make more references to how fucking Andy's, like, basically mannered. <clears throat> Visual, the whole shit. I probably didn't even say that in there. I got in the car leaving the show with Manish. I'm having a fourth piece of gum. Leaving the show with Manish. Dude's seen like 70 shows in six days. Like literally, Rockwood 15 just been in a million shows. We get in the car and he puts on fucking Undertow by Tool. And I had, I had a few drinks, like four. Nothing crazy. And uh, God damn it, the Tool was making me feel so open. I just want to listen to more Tool. Maybe, actually, when Rachel and I are in... Hawaii. That's kind of a funny juxtaposition. I'll probably listen to mad Hawaiian music, but like, there's this like meditative quality to it that you could drink your water and do your yoga, and then at night you become evil and drink seven bottles of Barolo, and then you're up in the morning again trying to do your yoga, sweating all over your fucking self. And it's probably because of me. Maybe every goddamn yoga class, they see how much I sweat, and they're like, okay, namaste. Be sure to drink your water out there. Dang, everybody. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. Feel free to hit me up at any time. Special thank you to Jason Wexler, my technical director. I'm leaving this outro for you, buddy. Thank you to you. Thank you to Andy. Check him out. R-I-N-N. I can't hand you the link through this microphone. I'm looking at this AKG Sick P220. Want to just hand it to you? I literally, literally was like, but I can't. We're not in the same space right now, so... Hit up Andy, check out his tunes. Stay super really real. And the way I say farewell to all people I love, I say one in a high-pitched voice because we made fun of this dude in college named Thomas Fisher. And he'd be like, one. And then we just, one. So only people I love do I end phone conversations with or farewell, just like, one. Not my wife. I don't say one to my wife. I'll be like, bye, babe. But if I'm in front of my boys, I'm trying to be cool to my boys. I'm like, one. So I'm going to drop one on you because, hey, as any true yogi can see, 
We're all the same shit. I'm looking at myself. What? What? 